from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 585, Building a Cybersecurity Team with guest Paula Januskowitz. Recorded Monday, April 23rd, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Been away for more than a year, but my friend Paula Januskowitz? <laughs> yes, exactly. Did I get it right? Yeah, you, you did it like very, very well. It's uh, Paula Januskowitz. That's perfect. <laughs> I can get the vodka names right easier than I can <laughs> the last names. Yeah, because they have this ending sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Let me read the bio for the few people in the world who don't know who you are. IT security and auditor and penetration tester, enterprise security MVP, and recently made Microsoft Regional Director, as well as a Microsoft Security Trusted Advisor. Top speaker at many of the big conferences, including TechEd back in the day, Ignite, Tech Days, Cybercrime, and I can't even count how many times you were the top speaker at some of those shows. There were plenty. There were plenty. Yeah. Also, like quite recently, I had a chance to be at Black Hat and I'm just back from the RSA in San Fran. Wow. I have, that, yeah. just, that just happened. Of course, we're recording this towards the end of April for publication and towards the end of May, about a month ahead as usual. But, you know, it's a constant stream of shows. I think you and I pretty much trade barbs on total miles traveled in any given year. I, I come <laughs> in at the 150 to 200,000 range. I think you're in the same ballpark. Absolutely. So it's like constant travel uh, week by week uh, yeah. to many different destinations across the continents. But that sounds very usual, doesn't it? Well, for what you and I do, I, I don't know that yeah. it's normal for anybody else. <laughs> it's it's crazy talk. But what have you been working on? I mean, obviously security related stuff, but I always appreciate you don't just scare this to death. Although that last show we did on ransomware pretty much scared everybody to death. Oh, hopefully not that bad. But yeah, well, it's still a subject. But I can tell you that uh, companies, they started to look closer at the ransomware issues. And it's still a problem, though. So lots of different types of customers, companies that we see, then they're like thinking about implementing some kind of whitelisting solutions. But eventually, some of them, they already did that. So that's that's a good job. Do you feel like WannaCry was the breakthrough where finally ransomware was out in the public and everybody got it and it's time to change like we have to do better you know every, every single event like that it's a kind of an, like an eye opener mm-hmm. for a couple of more companies every single time yeah wanna cry has a pretty nice marketing name so nobody <laughs> wants to cry so they were like oh what's this so uh, maybe we should uh, know more because it's very approachable by the, by its name yeah so more companies became familiar with the problem and I'm, I'm pretty sure it helped. I'm not sure if it helped as we would like to, but that's another story. <laughs> right. Yeah. The conversation we had, I guess it was back in 2016, we were talking about that. I think the line you used that hit me the hardest, we were talking about penetration testing. It was about, I am going to get in. Yes. It's what happens next that matters. Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, the, the classic one with WannaCry and, and all of these 
assault vectors is they're going to get in in some way. You can't build a perfect perimeter. It's that security and depth angle that ultimately makes the difference for resisting. Absolutely. And there are so many things that you should take into consideration because cybersecurity, is a, it's really a framework at the end that we have to address. So it's not only technology, but it's also, for example, who do you recruit right. to work in your organization? Yeah. Now, do you find it normal for organizations to have specialists in cybersecurity or is this normally an outsourced task? You know, what's what's typical? You know, currently what's kind of like typical, what we what we see is that companies, they actually hire people. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty much the activities that are taken, but they start to build their teams internally. Though it's an absolutely big challenge because according to some stats that we have in the market, we don't have enough people that are having appropriate knowledge in cybersecurity. So that's the problem. Right. And is it is this a training problem? Do you, is there a curriculum? What's the right way to go about this? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, actually, like, both of those. So at the very beginning, it's going to be the training part. But it doesn't mean that the more you attend the training, the more you're going to know, the better experience you're going to have. You need to have experience about working across many organizations and being responsible for some security tasks, security activities, etc. Mm-hmm. And definitely have this kind of approach to life that makes you to check the news pretty much every day. So it's a set of skills and also approach. That is something that is very rarely seen in the organization. So when you talk about security people, it's almost like the the tinfoil hat kind of mindset of always having security on the mind. Yes. It's hard to do it. If you don't do it full time, you're not going to really be able to do it at all. No, definitely. I completely agree with that statement. And you have to be very much devoted into what's happening currently in this world. Yes. Yeah, so every single time there is something, some story, someone is being hacked, etc. You need to be, be familiar with that. That's the first thing. Maybe know some kind of a detail. Absolutely will cooperate with someone who is able to check for you for details because you are not always having time to do this. So it always, it's always uh, nice to have some team that can help you out. And uh, this is how you grow in cybersecurity. Interesting. Yeah. So if I'm a small organization, just a couple of IT people, I'm probably not going to have a specialist. Let's give them a basic strategy and then let's dive into a deeper team than that. So what does every organization need to do just to have a basic sense of where security's at and, and when they're going to need more help? Yeah. So, so if you are like a small or medium organization, then most probably you will not hire the whole team to take care of your cybersecurity. So the best way to do it is to outsource it and right. uh, put it in some great hands so that someone can come in and then check your cybersecurity posture of like how do you look externally, etc. So how hackers uh, perceive you. And basically, one of the other things is related with also having a good IT stuff mm-hmm. so that they can care about these basics like installing updates and making sure that things are configured appropriately, attend some trainings to know how to do it, and then eventually someone from the cybersecurity outsource service can come in and say, okay, so that's your posture. We checked that. What you're doing is okay, or you can do better. So that would be the way to take care of your environment. Okay. Now, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, keeping stuff up to date is still the classic problem. And do you encourage people to move to the cloud because of better security, or is that a fallacy? Well, uh, we do in general, but then again, it depends maybe sometimes on the size of the organization or more generally on the needs, yes, because there are so many different types of big organizations, enterprises 
who actually switched to Office 365. Yes? Right. So it's not really the product for like a small businesses. It can be for the enterprises. So it really depends on your needs. There is one benefit though of that is that the whole security stuff that you've got that you normally would manage while having different types of servers on premise, it's actually outsourced to Microsoft. Yes. So that is actually a very good news. If you are maybe having a limited budget or no plans for building cybersecurity team, that is actually a removing lots of hassle that you normally have while hiring people like that. Sure. I mean, just managing mail alone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have a domain I registered back in 1995. Mm-hmm. And before there were any filters or anything on mail and stuff. And to this day, that domain gets <laughs> three to five million spam messages a month. I basically have a yeah. portable DDoS attack. All I have to do is change my MX record and I'll ruin your day. Here we go. <laughs> it's got to be off premise. It's like there's no pipe I can get into my home office that's going to be able to tolerate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a very good point. And the second point to make over here is that to, as we discussed, to hire actually someone in cybersecurity that is amazing. Right. It's so, so tough. Wait, is it just because there's so much demand or is there just no qualifications that are measurable? I would say the second part. Right. So like there's nobody really to say that, well, let's say if you want to be a doctor, you need to finish this university, have that degree, have that kind of practice at the hospital and, and these kind of things. Right. In cybersecurity, it's absolutely not defined anywhere. Yeah? So there are courses that you can take. Of course, you need to know a lot about what's going on in Windows. So things like Windows internals and so on, and also in Linux and across different other solutions, etc. You need to have a experience already uh, to be considered great uh, while working in some cybersecurity or security tasks at the organization. And this is really what makes you good. Yeah. And as we discussed, you need to update yourself pretty much constantly. So, so this is what is missing on the market. And just to add some like comment to that. Financial Times, by the way, last year made a very interesting stunt. And they said that by 2019, we're going to need approximately 6 million cybersecurity professionals. Right. But with the current development, we're going to have from 4 to 5 million. So it's a pretty good times coming. Yeah, no, if you're looking to stay busy, this is a place to go. <laughs> How do you feel about stuff like the CISSP, or the, IC, the ISC squared certs? Yeah, so you know... Hmm. I'm very like reluctant about this because mm-hmm. this is more like organizational security. Right. So let's say that if you are looking for a job that could be like a battle card for you, but uh, it will not really cover the practical approach that you need to have while working for the organization. So like if someone, let's say, came to me and say, hey, hire me because I have that, I would say it doesn't really matter. You can have nothing, but I would like to see some experience in the field or at least approach. Because you might be a junior, but if you have a good approach, that is a very good material to become a cybersecurity specialist. Interesting. Do you do sort of your own tests? What do you watch when you're, you're evaluating someone for their, their cybersecurity skills? Approach. So the very important part. And right. I would say it's more important than anything else. And also the experience. Yeah? If someone spends some years in, uh, for example, working well within organizations, then that would be that would be something something to look for. Sure. But you know, what is quite interesting is that I would be more looking for people that are already have spent some time while consulting. So, you know, there has been a like a cybersecurity consultant and uh, this person has been consulting for the past couple of years, being a, maybe a freelancer. Right. 
And that gives you the, that perspective across many organizations that in cybersecurity we need to have. So that would be something valuable. I guess that's one of the interesting angles on this, right, is that if you're working as a contractor or as a consultant, you're skipping from security problem to security problem where any given organization doesn't change all that fast. Moving around mm -hmm. in the field, you're going to see a lot more events. Yeah, yes. And then after like 10 years of doing this, maybe this is a time for you to think like, oh, I'm a little tired by searching for my own deals. So maybe I would like to stay somewhere in also consulting company, but let someone search for the interesting jobs for me because cybersecurity people, they like to stay in cybersecurity. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess it is a specialty. And if it's something you enjoy, it's, it's what you're going to want to do. Yeah, you don't want to become a manager. No, and, and you don't Yeah, want to do overall IT or things like that. If the security is what you enjoy, mm -hmm. you're going to focus on that. I find that with developers too, you know, putting on my other hat. It's like folks that like to build compilers and languages, mm -hmm. they're not going to be happy building forms over data apps. If you're not going to give them compilers and, and languages work, they're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. So I got to think it's the same thing when you come to a specialty like cybersecurity, where it's like, this is what I enjoy. This is not the work you mm -hmm. got for me. I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. You you just said very interesting point. How to make sure that that person stays with you. Sure. There we go. What, what are you going to do? Constantly be in danger? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much constantly send the person to the customer sites for challenging projects. Yeah? Right. So someone has been hacked. Try to help it out. <laughs> yeah, keeping, keeping them actually engaged in it. Because I guess that's part of the problem here is I think folks perceive cybersecurity as a kind of necessary evil that we hope we never need you. Oh, no, that sounds really sad. But yeah, kind of maybe. On the other hand, it could be positive if you think about, like, we are performing penetration tests right. every six months. Right. So come over and check us because we want to make sure that we are actually doing a good job. And do you think that pen tests should be done internally or is that an external thing? Both, both. And not only that, because you can have many services out there so internally, from many perspectives, perspective of a guest, perspective of an user, mm -hmm. uh, maybe perspective of an admin as well, or at least some private user, and also externally, how people see you from the internet, and also your, for example, web services. Right. So all the different types of web applications, web services that you got. So that kind of approach. Yeah, you've got to do a little bit of each of those things. Yep. Actually, before we continue, let me just take a moment here for this very important message. Security is the most important thing you can do to keep your company alive, but are you doing everything you can? A recent survey showed that over 57% of businesses still have users with local administrator rights. Stop the running with scissors behavior and take away those admin rights. But when you do, how will you re-enable your users to install their own printers and fonts, install some of their own applications and bypass pesky UAC prompts? If you've got hundreds or thousands of desktops to manage, you're going to love the superpowers of Policy Pack. Elevate standard user rights when needed, block malware and unknownware, and get out of the local admin business. If you haven't looked at Policy Pack and you have more than 20 domain joined and or non-domain joined machines, then you're missing out. Check out Policy Pack at policypack.com for real-world problem-solving demos, plus a way for you to try it out yourself. Policy Pack software securing your standards. And we're back. Richard Campbell here with you, Run As Radio, talking to Paula as usual. Been a little too long. We normally have you on every year. Somehow we missed 2017. I don't know how that, exactly that happened. <laughs> we're talking about pen testing. 
But I also, what about an overall security audit? I know that's work you do occasionally as well, but just that idea that you want an external set of eyes to sort of look through your practice as a whole and say, what have we missed? What have we got right? How could we be better? Yeah, this is a very interesting job, by the way. And I guess I will never be bored with that because every environment is different. Sure. Some problems, some mistakes, they are repeatable. Sometimes they're a little shameful to say that, like, oh, I managed to hack this environment. Well, how did you do that? Well, I found that kind of little password file somewhere. Like that happens, by the way, and this is really shameful, but unfortunately it works. Sure. So sometimes you are having this kind of project and then you were like, oh, challenge is gone. Yes, it's like ice cream falling on the, <laughs> on the ground, you know. Do you do assessments of the security staff for an organization as well? Has that got to be part of the process? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Social engineering, right. of course. Yeah, I'm sorry, Richard, to say it, but being a female and being blonde in the cybersecurity is just asking for social engineering, isn't it? Oh, no. And, yeah, and I, heck, I tell your story every so often about showing up at the office a half hour early and asking if you get access to the Wi-Fi because you need to prepare because you're so nervous and you <laughs> rape their machines because it wasn't locked down <laughs> that well. I love that story. It's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, there are plenty of stories, actually, and uh, I can tell you that that always works, actually. Yeah, it's it's very interesting how well that works. I, I warn people all the time, do not let that woman anywhere near your computer. <laughs> you do not know what's... I've seen her do it. It's amazing. Don't let it happen to you. You know, just to escalate it even more, like for that kind of project, I actually wear a very nice flowery shirt <laughs> so that you can actually... You got this innocent look. And people are like, oh, so cute, yes. And they were like, oh, yes, hello, i got a problem. Can you help me, please? Blah, 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 blah. And then uh, they just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think about those other social engineering tests, like just dropping USB keys in the parking lot and seeing how oh, yeah. many of them get plugged into machines inside the office. Like, it's a, it's a great exercise just to remind ourselves of, well, you know, how humans react to finding things. So, I can tell you what are the stats. There's approximately 60% of the USB sticks that are plugged in if there's no company logo on it. Right. And 90%, if there is a company logo on it. Wow. That's the effectiveness. Put a logo on the USB stick and everything is fine. Yeah. Pay a dollar for it and oh, then uh, you got it printed. That's it. Success ratio, very high. Right. So inside of a given organization, if you're building out a cybersecurity team, is it always going to end up being one person or do you actually have multiple people and are they duplicates of each other or you divvy up roles? Like where's the diversity there? Ah, good question. So, well, if you want to have like a super nice, perfect setup, then you will think about building a blue team and a red team. And uh, even though these like names are very popular around right now, then it definitely makes sense because one side of the team is actually doing the internal pen testing of mm-hmm. what's happening. So having or trying to have a relatively objective look. And in another part, the blue team is responsible for implementing security measures to stop them. Yeah? Right. So it's kind of like a cat and mouse game internally, legally. Yes, it's happening all the time to assure that by all means, whatever happens, whatever vulnerabilities we have out there, they're just managed. Right, right. No, I, I, I get that. And do folks shuffle from the blue team to the red team every so often? Is it is there a cadence to that? They may. Yeah. Well, they may. Of course, in, in cybersecurity, like in, in IT or pretty much everywhere, you have different like specialization. So you can be, for example, great in web application penetration testing or infrastructure or network attacks in general. In cyber, there is like everybody can do pretty much 
around everything from all of the subjects, but you can specialize in something. So, for example, in our team, we have guys that specialize literally in web application penetration testing. Right. But they're also like that specialize on the mobile platform. And their job is to test Android and iPhone applications and so on. And are we still mostly talking about the drive-by kind of tests or focused pen tests? We have black hats that are after us. Yeah, focused. That is pretty much what we try to do. So there are different types of pen tests that you can deliver. And sometimes it's that, for example, customer says, okay, guys, so there is 10 days and you need to do whatever is possible in 10 days because we think that nobody will spend more than 10 days on our infrastructure yes, right. of trying to hack us. So there is this estimation that you need to make. Sometimes they're like, okay, so this is the size of our environment. How much time do you need to actually check it all? And then, of course, it's longer, but then it's detailed. Yes? So right. we are actually fans of super detailed pen testing because normally hackers will not maybe or hopefully spend that much time on analyzing one by one host that is available uh, through the internet. Yeah, true enough. I've also got to think when you split the team into blue and red, mm-hmm. it's almost a rivalry, right? I mean, the red team is yeah. kind of trying to make the blue team look bad. <laughs> yeah, but that's the whole pleasure, you know, <laughs> of working in one of these teams. Like, ha, huh, you didn't manage to hack us. Or, yes, we hacked you. You are doing a bad job. Right. So, <laughs> so, but as long as it's internal and it's healthy and that's the concept of the team, uh, that, that makes sense. And, of course, doing the shuffling or changing the teams periodically, that makes a lot of sense as well because it also shows, like, the perspective of the other group. So I'm actually a big fan of that. Sure. I, I guess the question is how isolated do you keep the red and blue teams from each other? Like, do the red teams keep their techniques secret from the blue team? I mean, at some point, that's got to get unhealthy. The goal was ultimately to protect the office. Yeah, exactly. So they don't have to do it. Uh, plus, of course, there is a certain set of techniques that you are using. So it's not really a rocket science at the end. Yeah. So, of course, we are talking about a couple of hundreds of techniques that sure. are out there that you could uh, apply. but then everything is just known, yes, and how, how sophisticated can you be? And then wh- while the risk is already decreased, then I think this is you're getting to the acceptance level where you were like saying, okay, so we, we have used all it all and there's a very little chance that something like this is going to happen, right? And this whole idea of just improving the security posture of the organization, that's got to be the only metric. Yeah. Whether you successfully attack or you successfully defend, it's a win either way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They they've got to have a beer together. That's the important part. At the end. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, to talk through it. But I guess it, uh, during the tests, during those various trials, they do want to keep secrets from each other somewhat. How much do you understand of my attack so far? You know, all of those kinds of things. You do want to keep them private. But I guess there's got to be a clear endpoint at any given. I don't know how long one of these tests run. Do you run all week or is it just a day? Like what 10 days? Uh, how does it look like? So within the team, it's a continuous process, yes? So like internally, it's just happening all the time, yes? So because there are so many types of components in the infrastructure, that's why the red team and blue team, it's a fantastic solution for the bigger organization so that you're never bored because then you finish testing that area of the infrastructure and then you're going through like a whole cycle, right? Right. So it's like, it's never, it's never ending, yes? And system that was not checked for one month, you could already require some kind of testing, yes? So this is really the perspective. But if you are outsourcing security, then of course it happens um, like less. And then we are always recommending to perform the test that is like maybe six months plus. So every like six months or after 
big changes. Right. So this is pretty much the schedule that we should have. Do you buy into this idea of having a purple team that's sort of the facilitator, administrators between the red and the blue? It depends on the size of the organization. Sure. Yeah? So the, the blue team and the red team is already quite a nice concept. The purple team it could be a facilitator, but uh, I'm not sure if it's that that necessary. But maybe that concept is going to be more and more popular within time. Yes, well, it's got to be big at that point. I mean, I got to think most people are thinking I have two security guys. So there's a red team and a blue team. And that's about as much as you've got. Yeah. You know, there's only a handful of organizations can be big enough that you have larger teams in that that you'd actually need a coordinator. Yeah. So uh, that definitely could happen within the bigger organization. Absolutely. Sure. Yes. Yeah. No, I think I, I think it's interesting. And, and you know, if it's only the two of you, then odds are you're going to be having a drink anyway, because what you just did, nobody else in the organization understands. <laughs> <laughs> Very much like that. Yeah. So that, that couldn't really be called a team. I mean, they are all together a team. Yes. So they are kind of like a, all the rainbow team. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just a, how far you go with that. Yeah. And when you are bringing in those third-party pen testers, is that effectively a red team and everybody internally is the blue team? Yeah, very much it works like that. So right. you, it, it rarely happens that you performing the pen test, you are actually cooperating with the red team. It's more that you are like talking to the blue team because uh, it's your perspective on what's happening within the organization. But of course, it could be nice to maybe one day join forces with mm -hmm. the red team. But again, it's nice to have the other perspective. So that's why this is just not happening. How much energy do you put into the sort of social training side of making security people approachable? In the end, so much of the success with security mm -hmm. has to do with convincing the regular staff to do the right thing. Mm, good question. So, well, cybersecurity is an exciting subject. Like, pretty much everybody is kind of interested in it. Right. The uh, question is, do you want to have that as your job? And like whoever is interested in this kind of like a, because it's a, it's a juicy subject. So you need to be very much seeking for some dark kind of news. If this is really like inspiring, there isn't really that much of a social work that, for example, I need to do to convince someone. Yes. Right. But I'm more thinking about how security folks inside of an organization communicate with the rest of the organization effectively. Oh, that's what you mean. Because mm -hmm. you, you can have all the policies in the world, but if people aren't supporting them, aren't following the guidelines, it can be very frustrating. Yeah, very good. Very good point. So that, that communication, of course, needs to happen somehow. And it may be even difficult to say why. Like the social skills are absolutely important. And if someone is, as I mentioned, like following the news in cybersecurity, usually these people know what kind of arguments are working to right. convince someone to choose their paths, yes? Yeah. Sometimes it can be frustrating because they could be like, no, this port should be blocked, yes? But then we are not really talking the real cybersecurity. Just give me the arguments, yes? And uh, it's really a matter of communication. And I think that this is getting better. It used to be different. Like, for example, when I was doing some Panthers, let's say 10 years ago, then there was some kind of a security team right. responsible for blocking ports and firewall and that kind of things and uh, then conversation with them was just like a little tough and th they were like oh this is it people were like oh this is blocked because security team said so oh yeah, no. yeah so like they were not really happy now, the, the one that always killed me is 10 years ago accenture came in and built us a security plan mm -hmm. and here it is and we follow it to the letter forever oh no never been updated and, you know, back then they said block this port. So that port's blocked forever. Yeah, but why, right? Yeah. yeah so so that's, 
practical approach absolutely has to follow cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm such a huge fan of that. Like, okay, if you're allowing that because it helps our business, which is still in the first place, let's don't forget that. It's why we're here. Yeah, exactly. Then we need to change that into some practical approach and be reasonable. And But that's the rule that applies to all of aspects of our lives, especially I would say to cybersecurity, which is about blocking some. For sure. Yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. As the time we're recording this show, the GDPR is about a month away. I suspect when the show gets published, it'll be right after GDPR has been officially law. That's got (laughs) to make things busy for you and and busy for everybody. Like talk about retraining energy and, and trying to get focused. It actually does already. So what, what is missing currently, it's getting better and better. But what is missing is that different companies or people responsible for making sure that we are absolutely compliant with the JDPR. Yep. It's just that there's a problem of connecting dots, meaning, okay, there is this paragraph in JDPR. So how do we map that to the existing technology that exists out there, maybe already within our organization or we have to pay for it? But how does it map? So can this technology solve that paragraph and the problem described in it? And this is really what's missing right now. Sure. Well, and I have to remind people on a regular basis, like, it's not if you're in the EU, it's if you do any business with anybody from the EU. Correct. That you need to be compliant with these laws, that your company is exposed if you have a single EU customer. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a lot of countries. And there's also a lot of questions that are very challenging. Like, for example, let's say you care about that and you are a telecom and you have just implemented all the technologies to make you compliant with the JDPR. Right. What if the customer sends you an email which is unencrypted containing personally identifiable information? Yes. And are you responsible for that or not? Yeah. So what kind of transaction type is this? And, and that, a lot of the stuff's just not clear in GDPR either. No, it's just like they say, it needs to be secure. It needs to have an enough level of encryption. And you are like, okay, what's this? What's the enough level? So according to industry standards, what are the industry standards? So these are the questions that people are asking right now. Right, right. No, very, very reasonable. And I'm sure, you know, the implementation of a law, putting it in place is only the beginning of the process of how is this law actually going to be executed against over long term. I'm I'm generally optimistic at the ideas of the GDPR. I just think there's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of clarification that needs to happen between, you know, now and a year from now when when we actually start seeing more enforcement, like the first companies to get charged fines, you know, and so on. That's going to get really interesting. That's going to get interesting, but also outside it could be also hurtful because like there are so many people out there in this world that will with pleasure put you to court just because you didn't follow some kind of in their mind rule. And then you have to have like an army of lawyers to make sure sure that you are protected well, right? Because like when when the idea is absolutely great, then I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of like jobs that's going to be lost, lots of job positions that are going to be created. So it's going to be an interesting situation for us. For sure. What do you think it's going to take to actually advance the cybersecurity profession that we become more like lawyers and doctors and architects and like real professionals? Yeah, so there needs to, and this is, by the way, my personal mission in this world mm-hmm. to actually create like a cybersecurity standard. Right. So what's that about, right? So what this person, what these people need to know 
to be considered a cybersecurity professional, right? Right. So it was going to take around that. So maybe that could be measured by years of experience that you have by working mm-hmm. and then was like maybe five, six companies, uh, etc. So we will need to think about what creates a good person, good qualifies or good skilled person. That's the first thing. And the second, well, of course, you will need to have a certain certification out there. But then we will need to, again, think what kind of certification qualifies that when you have it, it considers your experience. And right. I'm a big fan of certifications that are lasting time. Sure. So, for, for example, we've created something that lasts for six weeks. And you have to be with us for six weeks. And after that, we can say that you are experienced in the advanced window security, for example. Right. So that kind of things that can and allow you to build. You windows, windows are coming out all the time. You're, you're going to have to keep that up to date. Totally, but the basics are always the same, right? Sure, I guess. I mean, hope. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we hope. Oh, we hope for that. When folks talk to me about this on the software development side as well, we're talking about what does a real software development professional look like? And I think cybersecurity would fall in the same boat. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference with the engineers, the doctors, the lawyers and so forth is there is a group of people, an association behind them that not only says they're certified, but takes on the liability when they fail. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a great statement. And I wonder what it would take to actually build an organization that would say, if this cybersecurity professional signs off on your organization as secure, you know, that you've covered these things, and they fail, like it doesn't work that way, we're on the hook. That's a pretty big commit. I mean, hard enough with software Mm -hmm. and the complexities around that, but with cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. very challenging. Very challenging. And we need to remember that there's always someone smarter than we are yep. in some certain areas, certain ways. And in cybersecurity, that's actually quite painful because it's really a battle in between how much do you know about something and you are proving it. Yeah. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it could be also a battle in between the hacker and the forensics investigator. Yeah. Like who, who knew more at that moment? Yeah. So hacker did that. Can cybersecurity investigator like check for it or maybe it's just beyond his or her knowledge yeah so yeah that is really something that is very cool over here very true hey paula so much fun to talk to you you need to come on the show more often very exciting stuff with pleasure (laughs) always yeah thanks so much for coming on thank you so much richard thank you it's lovely always to talk with you and it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show awesome and we'll talk to you next time on run as radio (laughs) 